anytime somebody calls and asks, should I open a brewery? And I, I always tell them, plan for two times as much time and two times as much money, and then you might be right. Um, <laughs> we were wrong on how much the equipment's going to cost. We were wrong on how much the construction was going to cost. We were wrong on the 77,000 change orders that we had with the wall that fell into the street. The building wasn't measured correctly by the architects. All the windows came in the wrong size. You name it, the problem happened. It was not all rose-colored glasses uh, for those first two years. What could go wrong did. And so it's really a, it's, it's, a, it's perseverance. It's believing in a vision and not letting the, the obstacles get in the way. Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland. I'm your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I'm coming to you live not too far from where our guest joins us here in the heart of Ohio City. Brent Zimmerman is the co-founder and CEO of Saucy Brewworks, which is a Cleveland-based production brewery and brew pub with roots based in the Steelman building off 29th and Detroit Avenue, which has since spread into central Ohio and to Michigan. Over the last year, Saucy became the fourth fastest growing brand in the state of Ohio and is now of the top grossing craft breweries in Cleveland, winning beer and brew pub awards across the board from cleveland.com's best brewery, to Ohio City's Business of the Year. Brent is an entrepreneur, beer fanatic, and has steered Saucy Brewworks from inception to where it stands today, valued at over $100 million across capital raising, branding, construction, distribution, community building, culture, product, and geographic expansion. I loved hearing about Brent's story starting up what is now a true staple in Ohio City and beyond. I hope you all enjoy my conversation with Brent Zimmerman. Having lived in Ohio City over the past few years, I remember when Saucy first opened back in, in 2017 or so, and just like witnessing this entire transformation of Hingetown and the whole area around Detroit Avenue with Saucy, in my mind, really as the anchor institution. And it has really been awesome to see the vibrancy of the neighborhood just continue to evolve and I've been really looking forward to this conversation because I, I think the entrepreneurial journey you're on here really required some prescience and foresight and vision. And, and so I'm excited to just kind of hear your story and, and how it's all transpired. So thank you for, for coming on, Brent. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So the saucy journey really started for me in like 2015, probably. I was asked to, to be a seed investor of another brewery and did a lot of work around that. My, my background, uh, I owned a long short credit hedge fund. I worked on Wall Street. I worked for a big mutual fund company. So nothing to do with the brewing industry. But I analyzed, managed, bought, sold billions and billions of dollars of risk in almost any industry you can think of around the world. And so one of my, I guess, skills is being able to analyze value, I will say. And I applied that kind of to, to the brewing industry and went into this, you know, head over heels into figuring out what what the brewing industry was other than the beer I drank and what it was all about. <laughs> and I kind of fell in love with it. And during that course of time, I brought Eric Anderson, my co-founder in to look at basically the operational side of what goes on in a brewery because I've never brewed a beer before in my life and still haven't to this day. I just drink them. <laughs> and he's a biologist by trade. He opened a couple breweries. He's, he's, 
he might as well be an engineer. The guy's really a brilliant guy. And so we kind of tackled this together. I decided, you know, I wanted to do it. I just didn't want to do it with uh, the original partner. You know, no offense to them. I just kind of want to do my own thing. And Eric at the time had opened another brewery and was promised a bunch of things that never came to fruition. And so we kind of had a postmortem and I was like, all right, you know, what's going on with your life? We've talked about me for a month now, you know, like what, what, you know, what's clicking for you? And he's, he's, he seemed a little downtrodden and, and I got to the root of it and he created all this, engineered it all, built it all, was the brewmaster, et cetera. And he just wanted ownership. And I'm like, Oh, that's easy. I'll let's do it ourselves. I'll give you ownership. And he kind of like fell off his chair. He's like, well, you, you'll give me ownership. I'm like, yeah, no problem. Why wouldn't I? Um, and so <laughs> I think five days or less, we had an operating agreement written and off to the races we went, to, you know, to try to find the perfect location and all those kind of things while he was building what the, the equipment specs were, or recipes, you know, talking to hot providers for contracts, all the stuff you have to do as a brewery. I was doing, you know, kind of the real estate side of things, which I do and I always have done, grew up in, in doing that. And we fell in love with the Steelman building, which at the time, if you remember, was dilapidated. Mm-hmm. Windows broken all over the sidewalk, syringes on the sidewalk, and I'm not kidding. It was just not like ideal at that time. But I saw its proximity to downtown Cleveland, as well as the housing stock and how old Iowa City is and all that kind of stuff. And I also knew that I could somehow affect change because of, of that property, as well as owning an adjacent parking lot. You know, the building's about 14,000 square feet. It, 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 pretty, it pretty well fit from a size perspective, how open it was from a height perspective. It was doable and it was close to the city, which we wanted. After living in Boston, New York for six, seven, eight years, I no longer wanted to live somewhere and have to drive all the time to come to work. And I still don't to this day. That kind of drove a lot of it. I thought that the neighborhood would really turn around. I didn't think it would happen as quickly as it did, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. We contributed our parking lot with Graham VC and Michael Panzika and Fred Geis and Jim Doyle combined parcels to build to build church and state as well. And, and so that obviously helped anchor the entire neighborhood with you know 158 apartment units right on top of us. So it was definitely part of the vision eventually. It happened a lot quicker than I thought it would. But it's been, yeah, it's been a great transformation and continues to, you know, this day continues to grow. Yeah, it's, it is pretty incredible, the, the transformation. In those first two years from 2015 before opening in 2017, what was the nature of the work that, that you all were doing then? And, and I'm curious, you know, having seen some of the assumptions you've made kind of pan out correctly, if there were ones, you know, when you were thinking about value and risk that, that didn't really pan out. Yeah, I'll take the last one first. Uh, there's tons of stuff that I was dead wrong on. <laughs> and in anytime somebody calls and asks, should I open a brewery? And I, I always tell them, plan for two times as much time and two times as much money, and then you might be right. Um, <laughs> we were wrong on how much the equipment's going to cost. We were wrong on how much the construction was going to cost. We were wrong on the 77,000 change orders that we had with the wall that fell into the street. The building wasn't measured correctly by the architects. All the windows came in the wrong size. You name it the problem happened. It was not all rose-colored glasses uh, for those first two years. What could go wrong did. And so it's really a, it's, it's a, it's perseverance. It's believing in a vision and not letting the, the obstacles get in the way. The former question, what was I doing on a day-to-day? I still had my day job. So I was managing 
you know, with leverage, two and a half billion dollars of debt. Eric, was, I hired, he was the first full-time employee. So he was on payroll, I don't know, sometime 15 or 16 with no revenue. So I was doing things like all the legal, trying to put the team together, all the real estate financing. And, and of course, this is all, you know, basically at the end of the day, it wasn't, there's a building here, but it's pretty much ground up. 95% of the building was re- rehabbed. Mm-hmm. A startup that we're putting in there as an anchor tenant. And so, you know, you can imagine that, that whole exercise with banks, et cetera, trying to get that done. I had tons of meetings with Savista Bank and talked them into it. And so they've been, they've been great partners for us and it's worked out really well. You know, they took a chance. Of course, I had to sign my entire life away. Another large investor <laughs> I had to do the same to, to get it done. But you name it, we were doing it. We had weekly, I mean, Eric, my dad actually did the construction, Zimmerman, Zimmerman Remodeling Construction. It's been around since uh, 1950. So he's, so you can imagine the infighting he and I are having the entire project. <laughs> he actually ended up firing his like manager of the project, hired Eric to be his on-site manager because Eric knows all like the engineering and stuff of the, the brewing equipment, the piping, all that kind of stuff. So Eric's like helping me get the brewery open while helping my dad get the construction done. And, and you know, we're at weekly meetings, like <laughs> complete catastrophes at every turn. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it just, it's comical. It could be a movie almost. And, and I'm sure that, Every other startup has similar stories like this. It's just the one I lived through, so I'm telling it how it was. I, I was curious just how that transpired because it, I, yeah, I'm as a consumer, uh, a patron, if you will, of of Saucy Brewworks. I I really only got to see the the finished product. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, it's all easy. <laughs> yeah, perfect. It was cake. No, it was yeah. uh, very. The only I tell you know I talked to Eric about my son was born uh, just around the time that we were getting open just before that, which other than opening this brewery is the hardest thing I've ever done is be a parent. Um, I don't know if you have any kids or not, but I mean, there's, it's very rewarding. Don't get me wrong, but it's hard. It, there's no manual and I have two now and they're just, you know, they're not the same and they're not the same as anybody else's kids. And there's not, it's not just like <laughs> fantasy of this is what you do. So you're starting a startup, you're trying to get this real estate venture off the ground. And then you have, you know, a newborn that you've never dealt with before. It was, it was interesting to say the least. I can imagine. You have this business model that I really love, big fan of puns, but the pub and spoke yeah. idea. Was that the vision from day one to have some distribution to, to what you were doing beyond the brew pubs themselves? Or how did that strategy kind of evolve? And if you could just kind of lay out how you think about pub and spoke. Yeah, absolutely. It, it actually was part of the plan day one. We followed a couple of, of breweries basically and in California, we really love their model and they kind of, this is, you know, they did it. So we, we kind of took it from them, but there's, there's always been from day one, the intention of pub production, selling into grocery restaurants, et cetera. And then eventually, you know, more pubs to sell, like sell beer to yourself. Selling beer to yourself is, you know, six times more profitable than selling beer to a grocery store. But the grocery store does the volume in which it helps you pay for all the, you know, fancy equipment, right? So it's, it's very symbiotic. The relationship it takes a while to pay for the production facility to to make to make cash, actual cash on on that humongous investment that you're putting in place. Not only from a equipment perspective, from human talent perspective. Uh, we've got a bunch of scientists back there. We got a bunch of former uh, marketing and graphics people from big firms that have you know very respectable resumes that are not ground level people. That it you know it costs a lot of money to to kind of do what we're doing. You know, one of the splashes that I'm sure everybody scratches their head to every day that's 
has never met me is that I can't believe that the craft beer sponsor of the Cleveland Cavaliers. What the hell are they thinking? <laughs> um, and my thinking on that was was literally as it relates to pub, pub and spoke because that helped us get into Giant Eagle the first year we were in business. Unheard of. That doesn't happen. And, you know, I give the Cavs a lot of credit that if it wasn't for them year one, we would have never been in the business, the grocery business. And, and that's helped us a lot. So, yeah, it's it's an expensive partnership, but it's it's a good one. They they really treat us well. And you and you go into those things thinking, man, these guys are huge. And you know, Mr. Gilbert and all they're like, man, they can really crush us. But that's the last thing they're thinking about. They want all their partners to succeed, which was which was fantastic. So, you know, that's kind of the method to the madness. I, I think, you know, some people definitely view us as crazy. And we are a little bit, but um the the we'll continue to open pubs. Uh we're looking at tons of opportunities as we speak. It's a long-winded answer to your question, but yeah, it's always been part of the design. Yeah, and uh, the other thing that I've noted that feels very intentional about what you're doing is this kind of community-oriented approach to to just how you build out these facilities and and continue to work with them over time. And yeah, I'd love to just kind of do a deeper dive on on how you've thought about that approach. And um, as you think about you know geographic expansion, I, I know there's potentially opportunities in Detroit and, and Charlotte and how you're thinking about the intentionality of those and, and, yeah. and building community. Yeah. So I was lucky both of my, I grew up in a very small town called Bellevue, Ohio, 8,500 people. I don't think the population has changed since my dad was a kid. I was lucky that uh, both my grandmother and my grandfather were named citizens of the year in Bellevue, Ohio for, for their philanthropy. And my largest investor, Paul Hubbard, who actually resides in California but has a house in Lakeside, that my dad built, right? You can see the incestuous thing going on here. He impressed upon us when he helped seed the company. Brent, I'm, I'm never going to get in your guys' business on a daily basis. If you ever need me for advice, whatever, I'm always here. The one thing you got to get right is culture. And he was more intentional about culture internally with the people here. Because internally, the culture makes a lot of difference externally to, you know, a customer. And it really has resonated with us. So we really wanted to be, you know, we make mistakes every day. Don't get me wrong. We're not perfect. Um, No one is. But we really intentionally wanted to be, you know, good stewards of not only internally our our people, but also the community that we're in. Because it, it tends to, it's one plus one equals four or five. It's not two. And so... We've seen that come back through and through. We just won Small Business of the Year Award for, for Ohio City, Inc. for all the philanthropic things we did during during the pandemic when people were hurting the most. We, the, as an entire company, just really stepped up, whether it be the tip jar that we raised, you know, 150 dollars for all the servers and bartenders and cooks in Cleveland, not just our own. Everybody in Cleveland signed up. There's over 1,000 people that signed up. We did penny beers for all the first responders, so penny six packs, a bunch of other things. We did we served thirty five thousand meals to the Cleveland Clinic, you know, a bunch of different things that, that we did when it was tough. It wasn't easy street getting through this thing. There were definitely nights where I said to myself, I don't know that we're gonna make it. What the hell am I gonna do next? And I tried to to not outwardly let anyone know that I thought that in in, in our you know ranks in the company, but Every single person, except one who's no longer with us, did everything in their power internally and externally to make sure that we made it through. And people that our graphic designer was making pizzas. I was filling crawlers. Our 
you know, head of marketing is making pizzas and filling in. I, everybody was doing anything they possibly could just to make sure that this thing worked. And for a while, even though COVID sucked, it was very rewarding. It was an awesome team building experience. I think we're better for actually going through that together and kind of seeing where everybody's stripes lie because it was, it was brutal for everybody. And, and, and we, we were not, you know, excluded from that. So as I look into other markets, I, I first and foremost have a real estate bent on everything. And Matt Schubeck, my COO, who actually used to work for me uh, at, at my hedge fund, and I have our quote unquote proprietary algorithm <laughs> that we use to decide what that is. And it is it's not overly sophisticated. So don't, so don't think that it is. But it, but it generally populates, you know, where we should be growing. So we, we pick those locations and then we got to find good partners. Some, sometimes like our partnership in Charlotte is with GBX Group, who uh, is right down the street here in Cleveland. And they, they specialize in saving historic assets through conservation easements. And some of them are just through friends of friends that are, you know, real estate owners. In the case of Detroit, you know, obviously Mr. Gilbert owns Bedrock and he owns the Cavs. So we already had a relationship with those guys who, by the way, treat us great as well. Uh, you know, during that whole thing, they just, they were just sure that we, listen, guys, we don't, we don't care about you making any money, right? We just want you to stay open. We want you to get open. You don't need to pay us rent, that kind of thing. So they were very helpful, forgiving, et cetera. So I, I shudder at some of the negative press some of those guys get sometimes because they do, they do a lot of good things, but we'll do, continue to do that. I believe that to go into a market, if it was 10 years ago, I could be a regional brewery and I could ship beer via distributor suit to any market I wanted to, you know, the fat heads and stuff of the world when, when they were born back then. Now you can't do that. It, it, it's way too competitive. We have, there's almost 9,000 breweries. So you need to have a local presence as from a pub perspective in these communities. You need to be involved in the community. You have to have people that live in the community. You have to give back to the community and you got to be feel part of it so that you're actually local. Once that happens and if that works, then after that we'll come back and we'll distribute after that with, with just distribution partners, you know, around the country. If it never gets to that, we're, we're happy with putting, you know, pubs in, in good real estate locations in, in growing cities for the most part. For better or for worse, you know, cities like Nashville, Charlotte, et cetera, just way easier business environment than Cleveland. So, you know, that's super, you know, population growth and everything else helps solve a lot of problems. Just kind of like widening the, the aperture a bit and, and turning the lens towards the, the future here, Bu- building on the geographic stuff. But I know you're also kind of, you know, thinking through product expansion beyond beer, how you kind of think about those opportunities, you know, relative to the geographic expansion and, and just kind of weighing the, the opportunities and, and direction you want to take Saucy Brew Works going forward. Yeah. So we think of ourselves as what we're trying to, we're trying to create a lifestyle brand. We sell beer. We've won awards for selling beer. We sell pizza. We've won awards for pizza. We're a marketing company. We're obviously out there all the time and that's uh, intentional. And, and inside of that whole complex, we're thinking about other, other ways to, you know, have our clients enjoy our brand, our, our products. So we're constantly thinking whether it's, you know, different categories of beer, whether it's in different locations, is there elevated food or not? Whether it's completely different verticals like coffee business we started. We're thinking about that every day. We're doing it every day and there'll be some, some more announcements, Yeah, you know, probably before the end of this year. One of the main drivers of what we're doing, if, if you, I'm sure, have noticed through Start Engine, we're raising capital uh, via crowdfunding. Yeah, yeah, Regu- yeah. Regulation CF crowdfunding. 
So it can be unaccredited investors as low as as low as a hundred dollars invested. We're on a campaign right now to raise three point nine million. I I tell our marketing people, I would rather us raise a hundred dollars at a time so we have thirty nine thousand new customers. We can ship beer to forty two states right now. We can ship swag and stuff like that. Obviously, anywhere we want to. Uh, so it's it, it, when you get these people that have not only invested in, in your brand and own part of your company, which this isn't charity, they actually own part of the company. It's very different than Indiegogo or whatever. It resonates. It's powerful. It's you've got customers that are backing you in, in, in multiple locations. I get requests for real estate and building one in just about every state in the country now from all of our investors. I really need one of these in our neighborhood, which is great. I love I love getting that from them. I don't. Uh, I respond to almost every one of them that I can, uh, and I'm happy that they're thinking about us. But it's very intentional. The capital we need, obviously, to expand. But expanding the customer base is, I think, just as important uh, and people that are you know, enjoying and, and loving the brand. Yeah, no, that alignment of, of owners and, and customers is a, is a really powerful one, uh, yes. ultimately. Yeah, I think it's, it's a really cool exercise that, that you're doing with, with crowdfunding. It, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was how you think about competition and differentiation in the space, especially with just this like proliferation of, you know, brewing and craft brewing specifically, and in particular here in Ohio with the history of an impact of beer, and I, even just here in Ohio City, you know, a real deep kind of history. And I think it's you know we're one of the top states for just brewing overall for craft brewing, bringing in tens of billions of dollars the state economy how you think about differentiation. I think you've kind of touched on a few of those things. Yeah, I think I've touched on a bunch of them. But again, for us, it starts with culture internally. I don't know very many companies. I used, way back in the day, I worked for Key Bank. I worked for Credit Suisse in New York. I worked for Mass Financial in, in Boston. So, you know, multi-billions and trillions of dollars of companies. Never once did I have all my insurance paid 100%. Well, we do at Saucy. An employee that's full-time comes in and gets three weeks vacation immediately. They get added a fourth, a fifth, and a sixth. If they're here 10 years, they get a six-month sabbatical. They get free beer, free food. You know, there's a bunch of stuff, right? So we're, we're intentionally trying to attract talent. And sometimes we overpay a little bit versus what the market says you're supposed to pay people. But it, it always adds up if you're, you're investing in them. Um, one of the pieces we think about is education which I don't think we've done a good enough job to this point, but we're starting to do a much better job in, in focusing on, you know, what, just like, you know, Goldman Sachs, you can get an MBA from Goldman and Goldman Sachs will pay for it. And they, and they don't, you don't even have an obligation to go back and work at Goldman Sachs. They want to do better for the, even though they're the big bad guys on wall street, they, they want to do better for, for the country. And a lot of times those MBAs go work for other places and that's fine. Um, so we kind of think about it that way a little bit. I think every brewery has their own little niche slash, the way they do business, I think ours is a little different than everybody else's. You know, with with the pub and spoke that you spoke about, with the basically marketing company that we run. And I think that, you know, some of our key employees, their experience from other industries is just hard to measure. You know, a couple of mm. Wall Street guys, a couple of people that work with one of the biggest ad agencies in the country, you know, somebody that worked for the Cleveland Cavaliers, which was very copacetic. That wasn't... We, we, we didn't get in trouble for that. We actually swapped. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm meandering a little bit because I think a lot of it comes back to getting the people and the culture right. And, of course, you know, we have the science guys that know how to make great beer, but we also, there's the business folks that 
you know, on the business side, everybody's paying attention to numbers and we have goals for all of our managers and for our brewers and, you know, margins they need to hit and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's a business at the end of the day. It's not a hobby. You know, sometimes a person can make the best beer in the world, but if you can't run a business, it's not going to be around long. So, you know, we, we pay equal attention to, to both sides of those things. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. More at a at a kind of macro level, you know, one of the the trends, and I, I think I see it kind of across all the industries. But I think Jim Barksdale is the one who famously said that there's like only two ways to make money: bundling and unbundling. And I, I feel like in the specifically within the the beer industry, we we kind of had this proliferation of of craft beer, and and now maybe kind of a consolidation of those brands by the behemoths in the space. You know, you mentioned kind of the vision of you know ultimately being a lifestyle brand and how you think maybe about exit strategies or or things of that nature if that's even on the radar or compatible with the idea of of executing on on building out the the lifestyle brand idea I get asked this question quite a bit i I would say like we're we're not building a company to sell it you know I plan on operating this for a long time the exit strategy for you know, current investors or that would like to make money or cash out and not hold on to this forever, I think will be through A, dividends and B, you know, buying shareholders out and stuff like that over time. You know, if somebody writes a stupid check, am I going to not listen? No. I mean, I, I, again, I have fiduciary duty, but it's not something I think about mm. on a daily basis. I actually am more on the offensive and thinking about consolidating myself rather than the, the other way around. I think you always talk to people in the industry and listen and stuff like that, and you'd be foolish not to, but it's not at the forefront of how we run our business every day. I, it, really, I don't even think about it, to be honest. I just think about how are we going to drive value for our employees, our investors, and our customers every day. Yeah, no, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. What of all the initiatives that you're working on right now that, that you feel most excited about? And with that, what I, I want to get at is just like how you think about innovation in the space as this industry that is like as old as time and you know humans have been drinking for forever like how you think about innovating in the space well it's funny and this is a little bit out of my sweet spot but we just were published an article and i posted on linkedin you could check out about a yeast called lachancia thermotolerance and it's this it's this yeast it's, it's creating fermentation without bacteria and it's creating awesome, very mellow, sour beers. There's all kinds of yeasts everywhere we, we, we look, but not many of them make good beer. And so Eric and his team is doing a lot with a couple of, of scientists actually in Indiana around that. So they're doing a lot of, uh, you'll, you'll start to, we've already had some of them out recently, then they taste beautiful. But you know, so, some of those sours are so overpowering. They're hard to drink, but just to sip, these are just very you know, crushable really at the end of the day. So in the brewery space, that's pretty fun. I, again, have nothing to do with that <laughs> other than drinking it. Uh, <laughs> the innovation side, the, the brewers are always innovating and trying to innovate on the liquid side of it. I think there's a lot of room for, it's almost like the construction industry. It, it, yeah. like, it's a little bit behind its time in just technical like innovation, tech in general, and how do you apply tech to this business, right? So we're looking at a lot of stuff as it relates to that, tech and data and you know, how do these big companies run themselves? How do they think about how they run their business every day? So we're trying to mimic some of the things they do. So there's a bunch of initiatives around that. 
just becoming more efficient, using our data more efficiently. It's a daily thing we think about. Still has a ton of room for improvement. You know, once you start harvesting some of that stuff at an efficient level, like that, you know, it's just like crowdfunding. The folks that invest in you are tend to tend to buy more often. Well, if your data is good, those folks that you're targeting tend to buy more often. Right. So, a lot of things that big companies are thinking about, we are as well. I, I would be remiss, I think, if we if we didn't actually talk about beer for a sec here, <laughs> as the the crux of and spirit of what it is that, that you're actually doing. So just kind of basics here, like what, what is your favorite beer that you guys are, are putting out there? My favorite beer is Love You Buy, which is a hazy Imperial IPA. I uh, spent six years in Boston and two years in Manhattan and I, a lot of time in Vermont, New Hampshire and everything else. And the East Coast makes amazing hazy IPAs. Um, and so I kind of a little bit I didn't make Eric do it. I don't make him do anything, but I'm like, God, you know, give me this one. And now he makes, he makes really good ones. He's, we've got a bunch of them actually right now. So that's my favorite beer go-to. I mean, he has a bunch of them that come out that I'm like, oh man, maybe this is taking it off its perch, but they're not like in our core lineup. So I'm always, always reverting back to love you by it's 8%. So you got to kind of watch if you have a few of them. You're in trouble. <laughs> sure. but, uh, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of the, the BF Hefe. Yeah. It's, it's really good. One thing that I have noticed, and I'd love to get the the inside scoop on this, is you know you you guys have fun names. Yeah. <laughs> where, yeah. where do those come from? What is the process for for putting those together? Those are all in Eric's maniacal, crazy brain. He has a, like he literally has a notebook <laughs> that he has like 180 names on. And then when it strikes him as this style fits that name, this is kind of and a lot of them are like lines from songs or you know lines from movies and just snippets of it or whatever. There's been very few names that he, less than five, that he has a name. <laughs> and he protects it like it's a child. He will not let anybody encroach upon it. He shudders at anybody giving him suggestions. He makes fun of them. And it's just, it's a big joke internally. Uh, Eric has to name the beers. And, you know, he happens to be very good at it. I'm not taking that away from him. But it's, it's, it's this thing internally that it's become where a new employee will start to like, well, hey, what about and Eric? Will be like, <laughs> yeah, I'd be kidding me. Has anybody told them? I named the beers. So I don't know. It, it, it's all him. He's a creative dude. He's a musician too. So he's – now, his list sometimes comes up with names that are not ready for market. <laughs> um, and so there's a, there's a panel of us that if it's not ready for market, it doesn't hit the market. You know, you kind of learn that the hard way. But if people turn on you pretty quick. You can't – can't have controversial things out there. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's some there's some checks and balance in the creative process. For sure, for sure. Which my filter is way less. I'm very lenient compared to like our graphics and marketing people. Like, if if it were just up to me, we'd have some crazy ass shit out there. <laughs> and they both look at us like, you guys. I mean, seriously. I don't like you're 40 year old man. Like, are you gonna grow up? Well, no, probably not. <laughs> we get our hands slapped sometimes. Yeah, that's fun though. You, yeah, you guys are, are clearly having a good time. Yeah, we do. Yeah, for the most part. For the most part. I think mean, just kind of building on that, one of the things that I, I think has been very cool just as a, a citizen here in Ohio City is the development of the lot kind of next to the brew pub. I'd love if you could just kind of expand on on that story and the vision for, for that. And I, I know one of the things that, that you guys are doing that is maybe a little different is like thinking about space and, and utilization of that space in different ways than maybe how they're like typically used. Yeah. 
So the Vibe Garden, as we call it, the Cleveland Vibrator Company used to make industrial-sized vibrators for uh, you know, stone quarries and stuff like that. They still are in business. They just moved because they had a valuable piece of land and probably needed some more space. Uh, it was born out of the pandemic because we had a very small patio and where the hell are we going to put people? And we stare at that every day. And, it, and the Snavely's bought it from the Vibrator Company. And they put development plans on hold just because of the pandemic and everything else. Um, and I looked at, and at the time, it's like a graveyard. I mean, there's stuff everywhere. You know, I called Pete up and said, hey, we want to turn this into an outdoor beer garden. We'll lease it from you. I mean, you guys aren't using it. You might as well get some cash in the door. Great idea. Okay, cool. So in the matter of nine days, literally, yeah. myself, Eric, Shuby, is Matt Shubeck, my dad, his contractors, we cleaned it up, leveled it out put all the light posts and all the power and everything you can imagine it's over there and had it up and running in, in nine days. It costs a hundred grand to do, uh, which obviously in a, in an environment where you're conserving cash because of COVID isn't comfortable. I could have been wrong about it, but it's, it's doing extremely well. Uh, we don't own it. The Snavely still own it. Could we own it someday? I don't know. Maybe I hope I would love to have something like that forever. Uh, but we'll see. Until then, we'll just uh, keep leasing it from them on a year-to-year basis until they're either ready to you know, develop it or sell it. But the whole thought process was, A, you're outside. B, the tables were at least 10 foot apart. C, we drew an architectural drawing so that legally they were 10 feet apart and submitted that to the city. And D, we, we launched an app. And so you, could, you wouldn't have to you know, congregate with a bunch of people. You could sit at your table with your group and you order your food off and beers off the app and you would get delivered to your table. The app was off the shelf, didn't cost us much. It's clunky, but it does what it needs to do. To, to do what I really want to do is, you know, 500 to a million dollars, which we're not going to spend on an app. So it does what it needs to do and it gets food to where it needs to go. People still use it. People still download it. I think they use it a little less now because they're not afraid of being around people, but it was a huge benefit and buffer for us, you know, during the pandemic to, to be able to have, you know, sometimes 48 tables full of people outside. Yeah, no, I can imagine it was quite a, a valuable option for, for y'all to, to have rolled out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I want to kind of just build on the Cleveland focus for a moment. Um, you know, one of the things we do on the show is uh, we're pulling together a collage, not necessarily of people's favorite things in Cleveland, but of hidden mm-hmm. gems and things that other people may not know about. And so I, I pose this question to you. I don't know if everybody knows about, I love the Raleigh Inn over by the Christmas tree story house. I don't know if everybody knows about that. Yeah, I have not been. This is great. <laughs> you have it? Oh, it's amazing. So this is like, I think 1908 it opened or something like that. Check me on my facts, but it, it was a long time, more than a hundred years ago. It's this little pub in the neighborhood right across the street from the Christmas story house. And they serve great craft beer. Usually they have ours on tap, which is a added bonus, but they have great bar food. And you just, you go in there and you, man, this is a great feeling place. I don't know why. And it's just because it's been there forever, I think. So that's one for sure. Another one I love that we go to lunch to all the time is Danny's Deli over on 17th, East 17th Street, opened in 1978. And I would call it, I guess, a direct competitor Slimans. Mm-hmm. You know, so the big deli sandwiches or whatever. And the owners and, and the people in the kitchen are like wide open to that space. And it, they're, they're a bunch of characters. It's hilarious. It's like a Seinfeld episode while you're eating. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever, have you ever been no, there. No, I haven't. But I you've sold me already. <laughs> yeah, you got to check that out. 
another one I liked it a little gem like over in the uh is Parkview Tavern. I have, have you done that one? Parkview, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I don't have to explain that one to you. But Raleigh Inn feels a lot yeah. like that. But for our dozens of listeners here, what what, what about Parkview? It, it's over in, you know, the hugely the uh, Battery Park neighborhood that's just exploded over the last decade. But it's one of the old relics that still exists on the corner over there and it's again really good bar f- food. And they got great craft beer, which is you'll see as a theme for me. And we do, you know, I can't eat it saucy every day. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as much as I love it, you know, variety is the spice of life, right? So we have all these little gems we go to, and that's one of them. And we often see a lot of the same people at all these places and having a pint at lunch. And uh, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's a great feeling Cleveland place. Yeah, it, it very, it I don't very know. much is. I don't know if you were like specific thinking restaurants and bars or not, but that's just one of my Yeah, mind. no, that it's really an eclectic collage at this point. It's I'm gonna have to pull it together at some point and, and publish it, but it's 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 oh, all over the idea. place. It's actually really cool. <laughs> that's that's a really good idea. Perfect. Well, Brent, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing the story of, of Saucy Brewworks and as much as I have enjoyed just going over the last few years. So really appreciate it. Excited about what you guys are doing. And thank you for for coming on. Yeah, man. Thank you very much. Stay in touch. Anything we can do to help with your startup, happy to do so. I don't know what that would be, but you never know. If folks have anything they want to follow up with you about or you know, reach out, what's the what's the best way for them to to do so? Probably LinkedIn, I would say. And then if if the topic resonates, I'm almost always answer as long as it's a real person, like with a real question, and it's not just somebody trying to sell me something. And then from there, I generally go go to email and, t- and text and stuff like that after that. But I think LinkedIn's probably the best person. Perfect. Well, uh, thank you again. Thank you, Jeff. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with The Up Company, LLC. At the time of this recording, unless otherwise indicated, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the company which appear on the show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.